Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. And welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yay! <laughs> Halloween is over. We only have a few more chapters. Th literally, I think it's three more chapters left of our book. And then we're moving on to the next one. Care to guess what's next? I know, but you don't. But, you know, if you just start naming things, <laughs> you might you might come up with it. Definitely looking for a change of pace. This one's been pretty rough. Pretty heavy. So, there's a hint for you anyway. <sighs> um, let's get going. Twelve Years a Slave. Chapter 20. Faithful to his word, the day before Christmas, just at nightfall, Bass... Should I put this out on Christmas Eve? No. I'm gonna put this out. <laughs> Normal schedule. Uh, Bass came riding into the yard. How are you? said Epps, shaking him by the hand. Glad to see you. Are you? <laughs> um, he would not have been very glad had he known the object of his errand. Well, quite well, answered Bass. Had some business out on the bayou and concluded to call and see you and stay overnight. Just wanted to show up and sleep at your house. It's cool, right? I mean, back then it probably was more common than it might be right now, but... <laughs> um, Epps ordered one of the slaves to take charge of his horse, and with much talk and laughter they passed into the house together. Not, however, until Bass had looked at me significantly, as much as to say, keep dark, we understand each other. It was ten o'clock at night before the labors of the day were performed when I entered the cabin. At that time, Uncle Abram and Bob occupied it with me. I laid down upon my board and feigned I was asleep. When my companions had fallen into a profound slumber, I moved stealthily out, the, out of the door and watched and listened attentively for some sign or sound from Bass. There I stood until long after midnight and nothing could be seen or heard. As I suspected, he dared not leave the house through fear of exciting the suspicion of some of the family. I judged correctly he would rise earlier than was his custom and take the opportunity of seeing me before Epps was up. Accordingly, I aroused Uncle Abram an hour sooner than usual and sent him into the house to build a fire, which, at that season of the year, is a part of Uncle Abram's duties. I also gave Bob a violent shake and asked him if he intended to sleep until noon, saying Master would be up before the mules were fed. He knew right well the consequence that would follow such an event, and, jumping to his feet, was at the horse pasture in a twinkling. Presently, when both were gone, Bass slipped into the cabin. No letter yet, Platt, said he. The announcement fell upon my heart like lead. Oh, do write again, Master Bass, I cried. I will give you the names of a great many I know. Surely they are not all dead. Surely someone will pity me. No use, Bass replied, no use. I have made up my mind to that. I fear the Marksville postmaster will mistrust something. I have inquired so often at his office. Too uncertain, too dangerous. Then it is all over, I exclaimed. Oh my God, how can I end my days here? You're not going to end them here, he said, unless you die very soon. <laughs> I've thought this matter all over and have come to a determination. There are more ways than one to manage this business in a better and surer way than writing letters. I have a job or two on hand which can be completed by March or April. By that time, 
I shall have a considerable sum of money, and then, Platt, I am going to Saratoga myself. I could scarcely credit my own senses as the words fell from his lips, but he assured me, in a manner that left no doubt of the sincerity of his intention, that if his life was spared until spring, uh, he should certainly undertake the journey. I have lived in this region long enough, he continued. I may as well be in one place as another. Uh, for a long time I have been thinking of going back once more to the place where I was born. I'm tired of slavery as well as you. Uh, if I can succeed in getting you away from here, it will be a good act that I shall like to think in all my life. It will be a good act that I shall like to think of all my life. Okay. Oh, a good act that I shall like to think of all my life. Got it. I was... <sighs> I thought the sentence was going towards, like, as good of an act as I could think of, you know, to have done, but, um, so it just got out of hand there. And I shall succeed, Platt. I'm bound to, uh, I'm bound to do it. Now let me tell you what I want. Epps will be up soon, and I won't, and it won't do uh, to be caught here. Think of a great many men at Saratoga and Sandy Hill, and in that neighborhood who once knew you. I shall make excuse to come here again in the course of the winter, when I will write down their names. I will then know who to call on when I go north. Think of all you can. Cheer up. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you, life or death. Goodbye, God bless you. And saying, his, and saying this, he left the cabin quickly and entered the great house. It was Christmas morning, the happiest day in the whole year for a slave. Yep, <laughs> nice Christmas present. That morning, he need not hurry to the field with his gourd and cotton bag. Happiness sparkled in the eyes and overspread the countenances of all. A time of feasting and dancing had come. The cane and cotton fields were deserted. That day, the clean dress was to be donned, the red ribbon displayed. There were to be re-unions, re okay? There were to be reunions, and joy and laughter, and hurrying to and fro. It was to be a day of liberty, italicized, among the children of slavery. Uh, wherefore, they were happy and rejoiced. After breakfast, Epps and Bass sauntered about the yard, conversing upon the price of cotton and various other topics. Where do your people hold christmas bass inquired platt is going to tanner's today um, his fiddle is in great demand they want him at marshall's monday and miss mary mccoy on the old norwood plantation writes me a note that she wants him to play for her people tuesday He's a rather smart boy, ain't he? said Bass. Come here, Platt, he added, looking at me as I walked up to them, as if he had never thought before to take any special notice of me. Yes, replied Epps, taking hold of my arm and feeling it. There isn't a bad joint in him. There ain't a boy on the bayou worth more than he is, perfectly sound and no bad tricks. Damn him, uh, he isn't like other people. Doesn't look like him. Doesn't act like him. Gee, I wonder why. I was um, offered $1,700 for him last week. Well, and didn't take it, Bass inquired with an air of surprise. Take it? No. Devilish clear of it. Why, he's a regular, no you, it's an apostrophe, a regular genius <laughs> can make a uh, 
can make a plow beam, wagon tongue, anything, as well as you can. Marshall wanted to put up one of his people again him, but like against, but again him and raffle for them. But I told him I would see the devil have me, have him first. I don't see anything remarkable about him. <laughs> Bass observed. Why just feel of him now? Epps rejoined. You don't see a boy very often put together any closer than he is. He's a thin-skinned cuss and won't bear as much whipping as... Yeah, whipping as some. It's weird that he says whipping instead of whipping, but okay. Oh, and that made me think of the whiffin' poofs for some reason. Well, the the whipping. You know who the whiffin' poofs are? I first learned about them. Well, no, maybe not first, but um, I was at least reminded of them in... Uh, the TV show Gilmore Girls, where Lorelai Gilmore's father was a Yale man, a Yale graduate, and very proud of it. And he had been a member of the Whiffin Poofs, which is the Yale men's a cappella choir. <laughs> um, or at least one of. I don't know if there's more. Um, but, and it, I, I'm pretty sure the Whiffin Poofs are still around. And I, I want to say that they show up in Glee at one point. Like, either they guest, like the actual Whiffin Poofs guest as a, you know, one of the groups in the show, one of the rival groups, or, um, they are one of the rivals for something. I don't know. But, uh, my college had a, Acapella group. I I don't remember what it was called. I feel dumb now that I can't think of it. Oh well. Um, but there was a there was a men's and a women's, and I think there was a mixed one too. Um, but those were all like extracurricular, you know, not um, not school run, not part of the academics. My school had seven choirs. <laughs> My college had seven choirs. They're very proud of that. Um, and it was actually more, but like seven main choirs. Um, and for some people, I may have just <laughs> let the cat out of the bag of where I went to college, because <laughs> I don't think I've mentioned that before. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, maybe I have, I don't know, but I'm not going to say it now, but I'm thinking of the whiffin poofs for some reason. And now, I don't know, should I think of boys to men more? Because uh, they're the, there's got to be a, there's got to be a modern, you know, black men's group that would be a, a better reference than boys to men. Not, I mean, boys to men are great. Don't get me wrong. They are very good at what they do. Um, I mean, pentatonics. Um, has African-American members. Two now, used to just be one. Um, and I know there are others, but... Anyway, back to the actual book. The, by the way, yes, the reason I thought of Boys to Men was because I'm reading a book about a black man, you know, and race is kind of a big deal in the book, right? So, um... Okay. Oh, I think I lost my place. Um, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah, there's the whiffin' poofs part. Won't bear a whipping, <laughs> a whipping as some, 
but he's got the muscle in him, and no mistake. Bass felt me turn me around and made a thorough examination, apps all the while dwelling on my good points. But his visitor seemed to take but little interest, uh, finally, in the subject, and consequently it was dropped. Bass soon departed, giving me another sly look of recognition and significance as he trotted out of the yard. When he was gone, I obtained a pass and started for Tanner's, not Peter Tanner's, of whom mention has previously been made, uh, but a relative of his. I played during the day and most of the night, spending the next day, Sunday, in my cabin. Monday I crossed the bayou to Douglas Marshall's, all Epsis slaves accompanying me, and on Tuesday went to the Norwood place, which is the third plantation above Marshall's on the same side of the water. This estate is now owned by Miss Mary McCoy, a lovely girl, uh, some twenty years of age. She is the beauty and the glory of Bayou Boeuf. She owns about a hundred working hands, besides a great many house servants, yard boys, and young children. Her brother-in-law, uh, besides... Yeah, okay. Uh, her brother-in-law, who resides on the adjoining estate, is her general agent. She is beloved by her by all her slaves, and good reason indeed have they be have they to be thankful that they have fallen into such gentle hands. Nowhere on the bayou are there such feasts, such merrymaking as at young Madame McCoy's. Thither, more than to any other place, do the old and the young for miles around love to repair in the time of the Christmas holidays, for nowhere else can they find such delicious repa repasts. Um, hopefully I said that right. Nowhere else can they hear a voice speaking to them so pleasantly. No one is so well beloved. No one fills so large a space in the hearts of a thousand slaves as young Madame McCoy, the orphan mistress of, of the old Norwood estate. On my arrival at her place, I found two or three hundred had assembled. Whoa. The table was prepared in a long building, which she had erected expressly for her slaves to dance in. It was covered with every variety of food and uh, of food the country afforded, and was pronounced by general acclamation to be the rarest of dinners. Roast turkey, pig, chicken, duck, and all kinds of meat, baked, boiled, and broiled, formed a line the whole length of the extended table, while the vacant spaces, vacant spaces were filled with tarts, jellies, and frosted cake, and pastry of many kinds. The young mistress walked around the table, smiling and saying a kind word to each one, and seemed to enjoy the scene exceeding, ex yeah, exceedingly. When the dinner was over, the tables were removed to make room for the dancers. I tuned my violin and struck up a lively air, while some joined in a nimble reel. Others patted and sang their simple but melodious songs, filling the great room with music, mingled with the sound of human voices and the clatter of many feet. In the evening the mistress returned, and stood in the door a long time looking at us. She was magnificently arrayed. Her dark hair and eyes contrasted strongly with her clear and delicate complexion. Her form was slender but commanding, and her movement was a combination of unaffected dignity and grace. As she stood there, clad in her rich apparel, her face animated with pleasure, I thought I had never looked upon a human being half so beautiful. He's in a good mood. <laughs> I dwell with delight upon the 
description of this fair and gentle lady, not only because she inspired me with emotions of gratitude and admiration, but because I would have the reader understand that all slave owners on Bayou Boeuf are not like Epps or Tabeets or Jim Burns. Occasionally can be found, rarely it may be, indeed, a good man like William Ford, or an angel of kindness like young Mistress McCoy. Tuesday concluded the three holidays Epps yearly allowed us. Um, on my way home Wednesday evening, while passing the plantation of William Pierce, the gentleman there, that gentleman hailed me, saying he had received a line from Epps brought down by William Varnell, permitting him to detain me for the purpose of playing for his slaves that night. Whew, detain. Uh, got me worried there. It was the last time I was destined to witness a slave dance on the shores of Bayou Boeuf. The party at Pierce's continued their jollification until broad daylight, when I returned to my master's house, somewhat wearied with the loss of rest, but rejoicing in the possession of numerous bits and uh, pick picayunes money, uh, which the whites, who were pleased with my musical performances, had contributed. On Saturday morning, uh, for the first time in years, I overslept myself. I was frightened on coming out of the cabin to find slaves were already in the field. They had preceded me some fifteen minutes. Leaving my dinner and water gourd, I hurried after them as fast as I could move. It was not yet sunrise, but Epps was on the piazza as I left the hut, and cried out to me that it was a pretty time of day to be getting up. But extra exertion... Uh, by extra exertion, my row was up when he came out after breakfast. This, however, was no excuse for the offense of oversleeping. Bidding me strip and lie down, he gave me ten or fifteen lashes, at the conclusion of which I inquired, or he inquired if I thought, after that, I could get up sometime in the morning. <laughs> Italicized. I expressed myself uh, quite positively that I could also italicized, and with Beck stinging with pain, went about my work. The following day, Sunday, my thoughts were upon Bass, and the probabilities and hopes which hung upon his action and determination. I considered the uncertainty of life, that if it should be the will of God that he should die, my prospect of deliverance and all expectation of happiness in this world would be wholly ended and destroyed. My sore back, perhaps, did not have a tendency to render me unusually cheerful. Um, I felt downhearted. <laughs> Hakuna Matata. I felt downhearted and unhappy all day long, and when I laid down upon the hard board at night, my heart was oppressed with such a load of grief it seemed that it must break. And I'll explain. The I felt downhearted made me think of Pumbaa's line from Hakuna Matata in The Lion King. The I, I got downhearted. How did you feel? Um, okay. Monday morning, the 3rd of January, 1853, we were in the field. Um, we were in the field bedtime. Uh, oh, bedtimes? It's not bedtime, it's betimes. I don't know. I don't know what this means. <laughs> it was a raw, cold morning, such as is... Oh, probably, like, he was on time. Um, it was a raw, cold morning, such as is unusual in that region. I was in advance, Uncle Abram next to me. Behind him, Bob 
Patsy and Wiley, with our cotton bags about our necks. Epps happened, a rare thing indeed, to come out that morning without his whip. He swore, in a manner that would put shame a pirate, that we were doing nothing. <laughs> Bob ventured to say that his fingers were so numb with cold he couldn't pick fast. Epps cursed himself for not having brought his rawhide, and declared that when he came out again he would uh, warm us all, or warm us well. Yes, he would uh, make us all hotter than that fiery realm, which I am sometimes compelled to believe he will um, he will himself eventually reside. Yes. With these fervent expressions, he left us. When out of hearing, we commenced talking to each other, saying how hard it was to be compelled to keep up our task with numb fingers, how unreasonable Master was, and speaking of him generally in no flattering terms. Our conversation was interrupted by a carriage passing rapidly towards the house. Looking up, we saw two men approaching us through the cotton field. Having now brought down this narrative to the last hour, I was to spend on Bayou Boeuf, having gotten through my last cotton picking, and about to bid Master Epps farewell, I must beg the reader to go back with me to the month of August, to follow Bass's letter on its long journey to Saratoga, to learn the effect it produced, and that, while I was uh, repining and despairing in the slave hut of Edwin Epps, through the friendship of Bass and the goodness of Providence, all things were working together for my deliverance." And that is the end of the chapter. Nice little cliffhanger there. <laughs> if you like what I do, subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. Rate and review on iTunes or whatever platform uh, lets you do it. Um, if you are unable to subscribe on your chosen platform and you manage to find this some other way, um, let me know. Uh, and I will see if I can get on your chosen platform. I'm, uh, oh yeah, you can reach out, uh, for, uh, for that or constructive criticism or to suggest new books or new holiday specials, uh, to do. Um, you, you can, uh, reach out to do any of those things, uh, either on Twitter at reading poorly or, uh, on email reading comma poorly at gmail.com that is spelled out r-e-a-d-i-n-g-c-o-m-m-a-p-o-o-r-l-y at gmail.com um hope you had a good halloween <laughs> uh, i feel like i'm missing something but i can't think of it so i'm gonna go ahead and just say thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly